The work in North Korea continued. Dr. Kenneth Dupey, honestly, he's one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. I mentioned him in the the previous uh, podcast. As I've said, he was a deputy director of the budget under President Richard Nixon in 1973. And in 73, he was assigned to manage the energy crisis. He organized and developed the energy department, built their building, and managed their entire staff. Ken has a PhD in geology, was a Texas oil producer, and petroleum businessman. He became a believer in Jesus Christ and trusted him for his forgiveness and salvation while he was in Washington. So when he returned to Texas, he was eager to know everything he could about God, the Bible, and theology. He was so hungry for knowledge that he enrolled in Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Eventually, he earned a PhD in theology. We spent four days in Washington. At first, it was, you're who and you want what? But every day he picked up backing for the project. Uh, A letter from this senator's aide, signed by that senator too. Another senator's aide who wrote a letter recommendation, signed to the senator. It was just building like like an inverted pyramid. I was astounded. By the fourth day, (laughs) it gotten so big that the Secretary of State had the USAID, that's the uh, one who does the uh, uh, aid for in developing countries, uh, had eight of his staff and four staff members from the World Food Program of the United Nations in a conference with him. It was getting big. We had been grilled, interrogated, and approved by the Foreign Relations Committee, the National Security Council, and many others. My mind was still trying to make sense and gain some understanding of what all had happened, as Ken stated uh, stated our case and won their approval for our project. While Ken worked the lines of politics, I was working the prayer line. I thought it rather strange as we dealt with one person after another who was wrapped in arrogance because they were in a position of power in Washington. Yet all I had to do was bow my head in prayer in order to be in the throne room of the almighty, sovereign God of the universe. The God that laughs at the plans of the nations who oppose him. Ken had taken time to get our original Amigos Internacionales organization. This is the organization that we'd used to build mobile clinics and Texas Baptist men used it when they needed something that did not have a religious connotation. Well, he had taken time to get our, uh, our uh, group certified as a vendor for USAID. Then the Secretary of State approved his plan. She said, this is very ambitious um, and from, you need to form a consortium of, of Amigos and four other groups to take part in this because it's too big for Amigos alone. Well, Catholic Relief Services, CRS, World Vision, Mercy Corps, and CARE were the four others selected. Since Amigos had no staff except our volunteers, Ken suggested CARE to be the financial manager and Catholic Relief Services to be the program manager. The staff which would do the monitoring and the food distribution in the field 
would come from the World Vision, Mercy Corps, and Amigos. I'm hesitant to use the people's individuals names in this chapter because they may still be involved in international humanitarian aid projects and their involvement with the uh, North Korea could jeopardize their lives and or their work. Ken was able to get a grant large enough to purchase, transport, and monitor the distribution of 60,000 metric tons of corn. A metric ton is 2,200 pounds. It took four ships to deliver the corn to, to the DPRK. I asked Ken, how did you get such a large grant? And he said, I asked for it. He said, the trouble with most groups is they do not ask for a large enough grant when they request help. The USAID people would rather monitor one grant for $5 million than five grants for $1 million because each grant requires the same amount of work. When you get home, you need to ask Bob Dixon for a three-month leave of absence because I told him you'd be the monitor from Amigos. He said, and he said that casually. You did what? I need to do what? I stammered. It was a moment. It was at that moment I realized up till now I'd been in descending mode in all the DPRK projects. My attitude had been, here I am, Lord, send my brother. <laughs> oh my, it was my time to go. I told my wife what was happening. She smiled and said, I knew this was coming. God's been getting me ready for it. I'll miss you for those three months, but we must be obedient to him. Oh, she's a real trooper. Bob Dixon said, Johnny, <clears throat> I really feel this is a, the Lord's will. We'll support you in prayer while you're gone and continue your salary. Well, Don Gibson, John Bullock, Francis Jenkins, and their other office staff promised to cover my work and my duties while I was gone. The schedule called for a mid-September departure and to return by Thanksgiving, basically three months. A call for prayer went out to all of our friends, family, church members, TBM members, and everybody we could think of to join our prayer chain. The Red River Baptist Association invited me to speak at their annual meeting. After I spoke, the director of missions, Warren Hart, asked the group to pray for me and for the North Korean project. Warren had been with me in Iran during Desert Storm with the Kurdish project. He asked the people to pray for me and suddenly entire church groups began to volunteer for a week, uh, to take a week for a 24 hour per day prayer chain. In a few moments, every week was taken and I was secure under a blanket of prayer. After I returned from the DPRK, I met with the Red River Baptist Association again and went through my journal. I asked each church what week they prayed, went to that week in my journal and reported what God had done in response to their prayer. It was a tremendous praise meeting. The preparation necessary for such a trip, believe me, is mind boggling. I was going to a closed socialist country where I might not be able to buy anything. I will need office supplies, a computer, repair kit, and tools, vitamins, medication for possible medical and dental problems, electrical test equipment, surge protector, power strips, video and steel cameras, sewing and fabric repair kit, water purifier, Bible and reference books, <laughs> a spice kit, 
Oh, peanut butter, Tabasco sauce, a drafting kit, the GPS, transistor radio, etc., etc. My son gave me a kit for my blood pressure and temperature. He said, Daddy, you're going to be under constant surveillance and emotional stress. So check your blood pressure frequently. That boy was a prophet. Some of the things I felt led to take, I had no idea that I would ever use. However, I eventually used everything I packed. Well, the departure day arrived. My itinerary called for an overnight stay in Seoul, Korea, South Korea, fly to Beijing, China, meet the team and fly on to Pyongyang, North Korea. Well, that was the intended plan, but God had another. Ah, man, I had not been to bed in two days because of the need to have all of my projects, meetings, and other responsibilities covered by substitute leadership. Trying to transfer leadership to others will sometimes require more time and training than the the new people it it would take to do it yourself. I was a zombie by the time I reached the airport. I dragged myself and uh, my carry-on catalog case, two large duffel bags, and a huge suitcase to the ticket counter. I produced my passport and ticket for the agent and waited while she checked the computer. She said, I'll need to rewrite your ticket because you've been upgraded to first class. I was dumbfounded. I've never phoned first class in my life. Are you sure? I asked. She said, yes, sir. Uh, there's a note here from the corporate office that all portions of your flight, which are on American Airlines, are in to be in first class. I fell into the enormous first class seat, took my seatbelt, and slept for hours. God provided a tremendous unexpected blessing. When I called my wife from Seoul, Korea, South Korea, she explained that a member of our church at Field Road in Arlington, Texas, was a pediatrician who did work for um, for Dr. Robert Mann. Robert Mann found out about my trip. He was treating some children of the American um, American Airlines personnel, and when he called them, they got me the first class upgrade. Man, my overnight stay in Seoul, Korea, was stretched into six days because the DPRK had not issued visas for our group. I told the missionary that my baggage was checked through to Beijing. Oh, she stopped, had a short prayer, and took me to the ticket counter and explained my problem to the agent. He rolled his eyes and said, How am I going to find three bags in that mountain of luggage in the Beijing baggage bay? I do not know what they even look like. She said, Young man, we've had prayer. Go look. The agent called the baggage manager, gave him my claim numbers, and waited for a few minutes. Suddenly, his eyes widened, and he turned to us, and he said, His three bags are the only ones in the Beijing baggage bay. The missionary lady asked, Are you a Christian? Yes, I am, she said. She said, Sir, you've just witnessed an answered prayer. The lesson I learned from the Kurdish-Iranian mission was immediately applied. God is not surprised by my delays. He is sovereign and he knows the future. Time to pray, purify my heart, and double check my preparation. There were lessons to be learned 
that could only be learned by being immersed in the Korean culture. The American missionary in South Korea and a Korean-American missionary to South Korea took me under their wings. They were an endless source of information on every aspect of being an American in the Korean culture. My computer hard drive crashed and one of the local church members repaired it. I had an opportunity to check and double check all my equipment supplies. Everything I needed was available in Seoul. Even Seoul support. <laughs> oh goodness. The missionaries took me to a church on Sunday. There were several services to minister uh, in that huge congregation. When I sat down and looked up at the podium and beside the pastor was seated Dr. Kim. He was the speaker at the Dallas church who got this entire ministry started. I'd been trying to reach him for three weeks. He was the speaker for the service. He spotted me. And during the message, he told of my mission. He explained my mission and said he'll be in North Korea for three months. And I do not know if he'll be able to survive. We must pray for him. He'll be helping our people and our relatives in the North. He'll be helping them and we cannot. So pray for him. And boy, they did. To say that everybody prayed out loud at once would be another statement of what happened. They cried out to God with tears and emotion in such a powerful way. I'm convinced they shook the altar of heaven. Oh my goodness. Two wonderful things occurred at the end of the prayer time. First, a young man came to me and clung to my arm saying, I have no money to give you to help my people, but I will give you my pledge in my heart that I will cling to the altar of prayer for you every day you are there. The second thing was an opportunity to spend hours being debriefed by Dr. Kim on living in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. I said Dr. Kim is the president of the Yanbin University in Science and Technology in China. I referred to him in a previous chapter. It was his school operated and staffed by Christian volunteers. It has a very high academic rating. 73% of the graduates become Christians before they graduate. Dr. Kim comes to Seoul once a year to testify about his work in, in the DPRK and in China. God put me in Seoul that one day. He knew how badly I needed Dr. Kim's wisdom and his counsel. Trust the Lord in all circumstances and he will do you good. Now that is a Lanou free translation of Psalm 37.3. We spent the rest of the day in isolation as he shared with me what life is like in the DPRK, how to conduct myself without offending others, to always show some respect to the dear leader, Kim Jong-il, and his deceased father, Kim Il-sung. Always shake hands with your right hand and use your left hand to cradle your right wrist as you extend your hand. Always accompany this with a slight bow from the waist. He also said there were no purifying chemicals available for the municipal water supplies. Never take a picture without permission. He reminded me that the DPRK was still at war with the U.S. technically. He explained the impossibility of trying to monitor the distribution of corn when we would probably not be permitted to travel outside the 15-kilometer radius around Pyongyang. This perimeter was the only place most foreigners were ever permitted to travel. Dr. Kim was a library of information. Some I've shared here and some I cannot share. 
After our meeting, he disappeared again. That night, my missionary guide came to my, my room and told me I'd need to pack because my flight would leave early the next morning. That meant I'd be up most of the night. I was already tired, and, but in my fatigue, Satan stepped in with a flash of anger. I suddenly felt out of control. I was one of the leaders. Why was not told earlier? Who set this up? Who's calling the plays in this game? They did not know Dr. Doopey, or so I thought. I discovered later he had researched everyone in my possible contact group between and including Dallas and Beijing. He contacted them, explained the mission, my training needs. He was the one monitoring the diplomatic situation. He was managing my care, my training, and my travel from his home in Longview, Longview, Texas. Wow, God had given me a guardian angel who was a native Texan. When I arrived in Beijing, I was very concerned about getting all my equipment, electronics, and customs, about getting into the hotel. I'd made arrangements originally with a guide and a translator to meet me when my flight arrived five days earlier. I dragged my bags to a group of six customs agents. I said, I'm going to ask about declaring my bags to any of you speak English. They looked at me, grunted, and turned their backs to me. Great! <laughs> I hustled my baggage past them with a purposefully confused look on my face and a smile in my heart. As I walked out of the customs department door, I saw two smiling Chinese faces under a sign that read, John Lenu, misspelled, but I could recognize it. Dr. Kim had called ahead without my knowledge and made arrangements. There were several more times he kept me out of trouble. I wonder if God made some Korean angels. Well, the team finally came together at the Holiday Inn in Beijing. Uh, for three days, we shared our histories, got acquainted with our assignments, and feasted before going to the land of famine. I experienced a good bit of, who are you, really? They're from large, well-funded, well-connected humanitarian aid organizations. I'd just seen the USAID budget from the previous year, and it was an item where World Vision International had received $100 million. My reply to their inquisition was, Amigos Internacional Analysis was a group which operated beneath the radar of publicity and news stories. Boy, that was true, but not always intentional. <laughs> news organizations have often seemed oblivious to the presence of faith-based organizations in disaster response. Finally, my personal roll call of disaster responses from 1967 to 1997 was sufficient to let them know that this was not my first rodeo. One of them had been director of their group's entire African operation. One was the director of the group's Kyrgyzstan work. Another was a leader in, in his group in, in, uh, in the Indonesian uh, ministry. And the other was a financial officer in his group's international work. They were all being paid a salary by the consortium. I was the only volunteer worker in the, in the consortium. <laughs> the financial officer had a difficult time trying to understand why. But he did not know that a part of the preparation Amigos had made with USAID AID, was for our monitor to be a volunteer. Every moment I was not with the team, I was in prayer. I was without my life mate, prayer mate, in the lonesome hours of the night. God was teaching me 
to find comfort and companionship with him. It was a hard lesson to learn. Being semi-conscious in the middle of the night, I rolled over in my bed and dropped my arm over the empty space where she had been for 43 years. I'd pop awake, remember where I was, remember where she was, and pray for her. Often I would remain awake for several hours and then ease into the Father's warm, gracious embrace. I would stay in that circle of love, experiencing His fatherly presence while my fears, apprehensions, burdens, and concerns were sorted out, checked out, and eliminated. We had agreed to pray, my wife and I had agreed to pray the same prayer for each other at the same time each day. Uh, the pray, prayer would be at her, ending her day. Half the world away would be my day was just beginning. We prayed the prayer called the Breastplate of St. Francis. It was a great sensation of unity with my soulmate, knowing that we were praying the same words for each other at the same time. I tried to go to the North Korean embassy to get my visa. I called a taxi. The hotel doorman explained to him where I, where I wanted to go. The driver looked at my American face and drove straight to the South Korean embassy. I tried to explain his error and he would not understand. Finally, I said, Hotel Holiday Inn. At the hotel, I tried another interpreter to explain my destination to the driver. He nodded that he understood and off we went <laughs> to the South Korean embassy again. I prayed for help. How could I get the driver to go to the North Korean embassy? God gave me an answer. I pulled out a notepad from my pocket and drew a North Korean flag. I pointed to it and motioned that this is where I wanted to go. The driver pointed to me and said, American no-go. I shook my head yes and kept tapping the flag picture. He looked at me as if I had a death wish, but turned the taxi around and took me to the DPRK embassy. That was my first contact with the officials from the DPRK, and they were not accustomed to giving Americans visas to their country. No visa on this first contact. As I thought about it, I could imagine the communique between Pyongyang and Beijing. An American came in for visas, what do I do? But he's an American. Are you sure? Okay. The visa was ready the next day. Our team checked out of the motel and went to the Beijing airport. Got tickets from Koryo Airlines agent, that's the North Korean airline. Went to the departure gate to wait our flight. I closed my eyes as if resting to pray. I was talking to the Father about my teammates, our flight, our entry into the country. I prayed for passage through their custom system with all my gear and supplies. I thanked him for this unbelievable opportunity to serve him in the DPRK. When I opened my eyes, I saw Dr. Kim across the room. I greeted him very warmly and received a cordial but cool response. Something was up. I picked up on his cue. I responded to him in the same professional way. I knew we were under surveillance in the gate area. Being a Korean, he was working with a different part of the government and did not want to jeopardize his work or ours. Our flight was called and we boarded. I noticed there was no tread on the two nose gear tires. 
I wished I'd seen some tread. <clears throat> then I saw a glint of light from the side wall of one tire. Oops. I thought I, I wish I'd not seen the steel belt on that tire. It was an old Russian Aleutian aircraft. I had tried to charter one like this when I was moving some equipment to Iran for the Kurdish-Iranian project in Desert Storm. However, the British would not let them land at their airport because they were so untrustworthy and dangerous. I thought, God is sovereign and I'm his slave. Let's get her done. It was a smooth flight, one of the smoothest landings I've ever experienced with any airline. Flight crew was very professional, I might say, with superb, with superb skill, and I was impressed. Our crew deplaned in Pyongyang, and for the first time, I was standing on North Korean soil. It was an emotional experience for which I was unprepared. The Korean War started in June of 1950. I was 15 years old and working in Alabama auto repair in an Alabama auto repair shop. I still have vivid memories of World War II food rationing, tire and gasoline rationing, watching the newspaper headlines and front page and the maps to see who was winning and all the other things that war for forces on a nation. I was going into my sophomore year in high school and I'd be drafted when I finished in 1953. The Korean War dominated my life for three years. Now I was standing in their country, still considered my enemy, but I was here to give them aid. Oh, how strange it all seemed. My custom at international airports during the immigration passport and baggage inspection phase is to study the agents and pray for God to guide us to the right one. It may be the one with a smile or a pleasant manner. Perhaps it is the one who's in a hurry and wants to get people through his line and out the door. I studied them all until I was almost the last one to enter the quay. The one I led to was a stern-faced soldier who glared at me an American with a look that bordered on ferocity. I uttered a silent prayer, Lord, are you sure? I lined up my entire luggage on the conveyor belt with my carry-on as the first one. I presented my custom declaration form. He jerked my, my carry-on from the conveyor, opened it, looked at my declaration form, and proceeded to go nuts. He yelled at me in Korean and made motions demanding my presence in his stall immediately. God bless Dr. Kim. He stepped up and said, Dr. Lanou, you're in trouble, may I help? I said, yes, sir. The agent, a soldier, held up my computer and asked why I did not declare it on the form. I explained to Dr. Kim that the form did not list electronics, uh, the computer in the electronics section. I noticed that as we talked, my other luggage was going down the conveyor belt and dropping in the approved luggage bin. I immediately assumed deeply repentant countenance with a bowed head, asking his forgiveness for my obviously stupid action and launched into a lengthy apology. It became obvious that he was getting a lot of joy out of this. <laughs> and uh, when my last bag hit the floor in the approved baggage area, I stopped talking, repacked my carry-on and stepped into Pyongyang. In the fuss over my computer, he missed the bags with all the electronic supplies which would have sent him into orbit. But my boots were now on the ground in North Korea. God bless you for listening to this podcast.
May God use it to strengthen your faith. That's my prayer for you in Jesus' name.